Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trent Navigation. Welcome to Garibaldi Red Live. And Nottingham Forest are still in the Premier League. Uh, thank you for coming. It's great to see so many of you here. It's a bit scary that there's so many of you here, but uh, I think Fletch is used to this and Gemma is used to playing at Wembley, but I'm a bit more uh, unsure. But yeah, great to see you all here. I'll introduce the panel. First of all, BT Sport, BBC broadcaster, Reds fan, Darren Fletcher. And former Red striker, Nigel Jempson. Jemo, are you ready for the new season already? Excited? Absolutely can't wait. It's the worst six weeks of ever in the, between the, the season ending and the season starting. So, but I'm disappointed we're not getting any signings out at the moment. I mean, it's a bit quiet at the moment, but we'll build into that. 30 signings? Well, maybe not quite that many. Maybe 28 this year, something like that. Do you know what, though? This year, it feels like that, that we're now legitimately a Premier League team. That when you get promoted, you've almost got to stay up, I think, for a season to then really belong. But I think now you can sit there with your shoulders back, your team's a Premier League club, you've stayed up, you're looking upwards rather than down. We've all got high hopes that we can make strides forward this season, the team can be better, we can pick up more points. So I think it's a great place right now. We're all excited about the new kit, what's it going to look like, which players are going to come in. But I think there's just, I, for me, there's just real optimism about what the next... 10 months can be like when the season starts. I'm, I'm really, really up for this, really optimistic and think we'll do well. What is doing well, Jamo, for you? What's a realistic stride? Well, I think at the beginning of the last season, I did think we'd finish two or three places before uh, mid-table, so maybe 12th. Um, I think we're going to certainly be looking at that this year now. Um, you know, we've had a season in the Premier League. We know what it's all about. The players have experienced you know, the speed of the game, everything that goes with it. So, you know, if we can get... 12th to 10th, I think that'd be a great season for us. I think if you look at the Premier League now, the three that have come up have got more to do than the three that came up last season in terms of staying in the league. Because I think the teams that came up last season made it, in my opinion, the strongest Premier League from top to bottom that, that we've ever seen. The three teams that went down would tell you that. In a lot of years, all three of them would have stayed up. When I look at the league at the moment, I look at the teams in it, and I'm looking for what I think the Forest could could try and strive for this year. I look at Brentford last season, and I look at Brentford the season before. Brentford were in a lot of trouble 
heading into January, their first season in the Premier League. They'd had a decent start, but they dropped off. And then they got Christian Eriksen. And they ended up staying up in the Premier League, a couple of places above the bottom three, and everything was fine. The question then was, well, what can they do in year two? And I think if you look at Brentford player for player, you will take a lot of our players over their players. It's a really good comparison. But they were able to be, what, 20, 25 points better in year two than they were in year one, finished just outside the European places. And while I don't think we're going to be pushing for Europe next season, I think Brentford are a really good benchmark, that if they can do it, why can't we? I think that's going to need Steve Cooper to grow as a manager, as Thomas Frank did. I think that's going to mean that the team don't need to make as many mistakes, particularly away from home. Individual errors were so costly last season, but you can deal with that. And I think they, they gave up something like 23 points from winning positions, which is quite a lot by any stretch of, of any Premier League season. So if they can stop doing that and manage games better, then you would expect, with a decent summer transfer window, that they would be quite significantly better than they were before. I mean, just think of where they would have been in the, in the Premier League last season had they given up half the points they gave up from winning positions. Then you're talking about being a mid-table group then. So I think this is a group of players and a manager and a management team and certainly ownership that will be looking up rather than down. And I think if you look at that Brentford comparison and go and analyse them player for player, there is no reason next season why Forrest can't make a similar type of jump if they do the right things over the course of the summer. One of the players I want to talk about around the transfers then is Brennan. I mean, there's so much talk about him. We, I remember a week, a week ago, Temps was saying no chance he's going. He's saying it now still. There's lots of talk around him though, Gemmo. I mean, what would your advice be to him at this stage of his career? Brennan's a great player. Listen, we, we all know that. And he's had a terrific season, uh, huge potential. Everyone's got a price, you know, and I don't know what that price is that the football club want for him. Um, but you look, you look at people like Brentford, I don't see that as a forward step. I see it as a sideways step. So for, for Brent to leave this football club where he's adored, his family's here, he's got his dad here and his, his mum, and he's played on a regular basis, he's got to be looking at a top six, seven club. Otherwise, there's no point going. You know, we're, we're, we're on the up now. Um, he's got a good manager behind him. The crowd adore him. Um, I think at this moment in time, he's played for Wales. He's, he's got to have another another season at least uh, before he can think about going. But unless, like I said, this this offer comes in that the club want to invest, you know, and, and put back into the squad. When I saw it, I thought somebody was taking the Mickey. So if Anthony Gordon costs what 55 million, yeah. how can Brennan Johnson be 30 million? Go and compare the stats. Go and compare what Brennan Johnson has done as a Premier League player compared to Anthony Gordon. Go and look at the ages of the two of them, the profile of the two of them. If anybody wants to take Brennan Johnson away from here, they've at least got to get to Anthony Gordon's money from Everton to Newcastle. And if they don't, then I think the club would be absolutely mad to even entertain it. He's a very talented player the most valuable commodity in any Premier League team, and it pains me to say it with him sat next to me, is goals, but he'll back me up on that. And if you've got a player in his first season in the Premier League that gets you double figures, and he didn't play all of the matches, then you've got a player with huge potential. And I think, A, they'd be silly to get rid of him in any circumstances right now. But the offer that came in from Brentford, I think was at least 25 million below what you'd even have to get to to think about it. And look at look how inflated prices are at the moment for players. 
West Ham, 120 million quid for Declan Rice. Now, I know he's a good player, but he's not scoring you too many goals. Brennan Johnson's a man that can affect a game and win you a game. And I just thought the offer from them were laughable. I think if, if, if a club like Nigel says he's a top six side and they say, well, look, there's a bit of 50-55, can we have a conversation? Then there might be an obligation to do it. But where it is right now, I think it's a disgrace and they shouldn't even entertain it. Is Brentford a... <laughs> Do you think Brentford are just testing the water to see how the lies? Is it a straight, no, he's not for sale at any price, or is it a... I think that's probably where they are. I don't, I don't think Brentford are going to sign anybody for 50, 55 million. So I think they've gone, well, we'll try and nick Brennan Johnson for 30. And I think if the owner, looking how ambitious he is, he's probably not even taking the call, I would suspect. I mean, I, I can't see that happening. So if West Ham come in with 50 million? Well, there's a different conversation, but I think you've got to get... Every player's got a price, as you say, and I agree with that. But it has to be Anthony Gordon as the, as, the, as the starting point because there's such a lot of similarities between the two, even though Brennan's been more successful than him in the Premier League. So there is almost a precedent set. So I think you've got to come in with a realistic offer. And that offer has to be Anthony Gordon as a starting point and then probably a bit more than that. But if he's going to go forward to a, a better club, look at the, the, the people in the Premier League Tottenham is the only the club, really, that would take him. Yeah, and then you look at them. They're signing Kulosevsky, they've got Son, they've got Kane. He's not guaranteed to play there. I, I don't think that's a great fit at the minute. I, I think he's better off having another year at least here and hopefully longer because the crowd respects him. He's just bought a new house. He's got a huge connection to the club having come through the academy. And I don't think too many players at the minute are looking to get out. I think yeah. the players actually want to be here. And I think... The main part of that is that let's, let's not beat about the bush. There is no team in the Premier League when the players walk out in their home stadium where they get the kind of welcome and love that you, you give to the players game after game. And I think that resonates with all of them. I think it matters to all of them. And I think particularly when you're a local lad, you want to experience more of that. And I'd be very, very surprised if Brennan Johnson's knocking on the owner's door and saying, you know what, I've done a season in the Premier League, I fancy being somewhere else, based on the fact that he's grown up around the city, come through the academy. I think he wants to be part of the next stage of the journey, and I'd be astonished if he leaves this summer. Astonished. Yeah, totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Does it end with him signing a new contract, potentially, Fletch, do you think? Well, if that's what it takes to, to make him happy, but I think, you know, one thing Forrest have to be now is realistic. You know, we can't just start handing out new contracts to everybody when a derisory bid comes in. I don't know what his contract status is. I know he signed a new one not that long ago. And I know the stick he gets from inside the dressing room that his wages compared to everybody else's. So I think he's doing all right at the minute. Um, I think he could afford to buy everybody a burger here tonight and be okay tomorrow morning when he wakes up and not regret it. But if that's what it takes, I, I, what I would like to think that Forrest could do is build a core group from within the players that they've got now. And that would be eventually extending Brennan, extending Morgan Gibbs-White. If they, if they sign Dean Henderson, then you've got a goalkeeper then for the long term who you can give a decent contract to. Joe would be another one. Get the core of your team, Ryan Yates, and then add real quality to that. Go out in the transfer market. Last season, it was about numbers. This season needs to be about quality. Identify the areas of need and bring genuine Premier League players in, players that can really help the club get forward. Then all of a sudden, You've got the basis, you've got committed players, you've got a club then that started to be built from the bottom up with really solid foundations, and then who knows where this place can go from there. 
what, when you look at them, Jamo, what do you think they need to go to that next level? Uh, I still think we need quite a few players, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, we certainly need a goalkeeper, if not two. Um, you look at the right, right back situation, we've got Aurier and Nico Williams, which I'm, I'm happy with those two, so I think we're, we're all right on that position. We need a left back. I'm not sure Toffler will stay. Um, you know, he's a good squad player, obviously, but with Lodi going, I was a big fan of Lodi's. I thought he did fantastic this year. Um, I don't know what's happening with him, whether he's, he's going to come back or whether he's looking for Champions League football, but you know, that's down to, obviously, his representation. Um, midfield, obviously, there's a couple of places in there that I think we could do with. Um, I thought Mangala, towards the end of the season, was outstanding. Danilo has gone to another level, and I think we're going to see more of him. I'm really looking forward to seeing this year Scarpa. You know, see what he has to offer this year because once he gets a good pre-season under his belt, I think he's got something to offer. Um, but we certainly need a couple more in there, I think, in there. And certainly, I think we need another striker. Uh, Timo obviously did fantastic towards the end of the season. You know, he's, is he going to get his 15 Premier League goals next year? Hopefully, he will do. But I think we, we need an experienced player there that knows the Premier League inside out. And... Um, you know, Chris Wood obviously hasn't done it yet. Um, maybe another another winger, uh, but there'll be a few people going out. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. At the moment, being linked with all these foreign players, but you know, I'd like to see some English-based players. I think I'd like to see a real top-class central midfield player coming. I think I'd like to see another top-class centre-back coming, because I look at Felipe and Felipe is magnificent. But there was a man at the end of the season who was being held together by band-aid plasters. Couldn't train, but he was out there every game playing at such a high level. But I think they've got to start to manage Felipe's minutes a little bit. The age he's at, the wear on the tyres. Niakate was a slow burner, but by the end of the season, you could see how good he was. And Joe in the back three as well, they were a really good group. But I think after that, you've then got a drop off. So I think I'd like to see another one come into that room to make that group better. So I, think, I, said, so I said to half there, Fletch, yeah. someone's got to go because you've got Bolly there, you've got Scott McKenna as but well. I don't, but I don't, think, I don't think the thing, I don't think Willie Bolly's going to play that many either. I mean, the stiffers are bored, the two of them, and you sit there, like, walk around like the tin man in the car park. I mean, I think the thing with them is you might get a full season out of the pair of them combined. I don't think either's going to play 38 Premier League games, are they, next year? I just don't think they're built that way at their age they're at. So I think you're going to need that just in terms of being... Really good game after game. I'm a little bit different to you, and I want, to, I want to get stuck into you a little bit about this player because you've got great knowledge of this position. When Taiwo Awani came last year, and, and, and you saw him for the first time, I mean, I think we all thought, blimey. <laughs> what, How much? What's he been doing to get 14 goals in Germany? But as the season went on, I think the best thing that happened to him was, was he got injured and he went out of the team and maybe had to think about it and came back a better player. Some players, Nigel, have just got the knack of scoring goals. And he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And he became a better finisher, a more clinical finisher, as the season went on, culminating the goal against Arsenal here, which I thought was a fantastic finish in the circumstances. Well, we had, we had a, a conversation about that, and I was saying he was very lucky. You were, yeah, exactly. And you scored loads of lucky ones. They were telling me when I came in tonight, so you would know about that. But, but what, what do you think his potential could be? Because he looks so raw, but I think the coaching staff they've got down there can hopefully make him a better player. I think it's that first-year syndrome, isn't it, where you come into a, a Premier League and it, it was difficult for everybody to start off with. Um, and like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, he came in and 
we all thought, you know, what we signed here, he was gangly. Um, but like I say, he got injured, came back. His physique was a, a big plus for me. You know, it was a battering ram and, he, and his endeavour, his commitment. You know, I think, you know, I can't remember which team it was now, but he came on and, uh, you know, he put himself about and, and he warmed to the, the fans, warmed to him. And I think ever since there, he, he's, since he's been loved by the crowd and, and, and obviously the fans, he's got his rewards for his hard work. I think the thing with him is, if you're a centre-back, and you're going through a list of players that you want to play against in the Premier League, he's quite low down. Mm. Because he's not always completely sure about what he's going to do, so I don't quite know how you know what he's going to do. He's a really bright player in terms of being in the right place in the penalty area when it matters. And then those physical attributes that he has, the size, speed, strength, and that determination to try and use it all when he gets the opportunity. It must be a nightmare for a centre-back to play against. It does, but I think sometimes the way we played... It was very difficult for him because he was up there on his own at times. But he was also on the left, if you think about it. <clears throat> when he got back in the team, he played centrally a lot more. And then you started to see Tywell. I, I could never understand. I mean, I'm not a coach, but I could never understand why he played wide, as wide as he did in that, in that early shape, because he always seemed to be uncomfortable in the position that he was in. But when he came back, he played down the middle, played where he played in the Bundesliga, and he looked way better than he did before the injury. Yeah, I think there's more to come from him, don't get me wrong. I think he, he could do with some help up there. You know, someone a bit closer to him. I mean, everyone knows how good Morgan Gibbs-White is. I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal player and we're lucky to have him. But, you know, obviously he plays a deeper role and I think he had a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, Morgan, that either himself or Brendan had to score the goals because no one else was chipping in. And he tried to do a bit too much at times, Morgan. So I think now once, once he's had this full season under his belt, he will become better. Um, but I think the game, I think it was Brentford away, I think, when Tywell came off. And I think everyone, after about 55 minutes, thought, why have we brought him off too soon? Because he put himself about and, and he does put a shift in. Yeah. Uh, and I think we missed that. So, um, again, it's like, say, everyone get a, a good pre-season under the belt and we'll see what happens from there. You know, Chris Wood, he's got a point to prove. You know, whether he'll do it or not, who knows. Do you um, think he fits in, Wood, in the way that Cooper wants to play? That's what I was going to ask you about. Does he have a future in this team, the way it plays? Well, well, well when he was injured, I actually thought Chris would be a good sign because I thought he'd, he'd put himself about and, you know, with the two wingers we're putting crosses in, he'd get on the end of them. But it's not happened for him. I mean, he scored the goal against City. Was it Man City, I think yeah. it was? Um, but he's, he's probably been a bit disappointed himself. But again, you know, he's, he's, again, it's he's that new sign. He's got to come back now. He's got to get out of the blocks. Because you know he's got to prove a little bit for the money we spent on him. Um, one other topic I wanted to hit on before the interval was uh, Gary Brazil. We've already just started. No, we've been going. You've been talking. We've been sat here in the sun roasting. Now you're going to get the interval already. Well, you've been talking for 25 minutes. Oh, sorry. Um, Gary Brazil is moving on by all indications. I mean, Gemma, you know him well. You were saying before we started, you played alongside him. What would you say about him as a man and what he's contributed? Yeah, I've known Gary since I was. 16 years of age, played at Preston North End. Um, he was a great player. Um, obviously, we lost a bit of contact uh, over the years since then. Um, but he came to the football club, uh, gave him the opportunity to uh, work in the academy, you know, work with people like Brennan. Um, and uh, he's been a fantastic service. I think we are talking, was it 10, 11 years he's been at the football club? Brought a lot of players through the academy into the first team. Um, but again, you know, the club looking for a, a fresh face, something to just freshen things up again. No one's ever going to doubt the work he's done. Um, 
but like I say, you know, sometimes you've got to freshen things up. So whether that's the case, I, I don't know. I'm not going to get into too much politics with what happens behind what happens behind the doors. But um, it'll be sadly missed. But Forrest, Forrest will move on. That means he knows more than he's saying <laughs> that. You know, when you say, I, I was devastated when I saw it. I'll be honest, because clubs have got a real knack of surviving. Clubs find a way to survive. And I think one of the ways that our club found to survive was Gary Brazil. And I think the players that Gary brought through the academy that we were able to sell over an extended period of time, I think helped keep this club afloat. I don't, I don't think that should ever, ever, ever be forgotten. And the fact that they were able to get into the Premier League and stay there, it was based around players that were academy players, the core of the group, the leaders in the dressing room, the players who came through the academy. The big voices in there now are Joe Worrell, Ryan Yates, Brennan Johnson. They're, they're the they're dominant characters within that room. What Gary identified early was that he wanted certain type of traits in human beings, not necessarily the best footballers, but he wanted traits in human beings that he felt is what you need to take on the pitch. And I think the work he's done has been absolutely astonishing. And we went through a period of time under the new ownership now where financial fair play was being scrutinised. And Mr Maranakis had to be careful the way that he did it because he was being scrutinised as a championship owner more than most. And the fact that they got a young player from the academy most years to sell, that was another way that they could get through the financial fair play because they'd sell a young player, put that money back into the pot, use it to regenerate the team in different ways. I was really disappointed to see him go. My own son's been in the academy since he was nine. He's going into the under-15s now, and Gary's been a constant presence throughout. And the academy system down there is absolutely tremendous. It's a real good feel-good factor down there. They've just been brilliant. And I, and I, I hope he goes on to something that he wants to do. Um, but I'll miss him, and I think the club will miss him. And sometimes you don't realise what you've got until they're gone. And whoever comes in to replace him has got a big pair of boots to fill. Not only that, Fletch, he was always there. He was reliable and he was someone that the, the club could turn to. I mean, did he have two caretaker managers? You know, since... Well, he smashed Arsenal right up, didn't he, in the FA Cup that day. That was brilliant. How important is some, just some stability in the structure next season, Fletch? We've seen two recruitment teams in one season. Yeah. I mean, that's not sustainable, is it? No, it's not. It's not. I mean, I think what they have got now, they've got very stable ownership. From what I gather, Olympiakos was kind of number one and Forrest came to be number two. Now Forrest are a Premier League team. I think that's reversed itself and I think the priority for ownership now is, is the club here. For obvious reasons, the financial benefits of being a Premier League club, the crowd that have, have turned it into such a, a one-off experience for people when they come. So I think we've got stable ownership, which is important. The rest of it just needs to settle down. I mean, I don't really know Ross Wilson, who's coming as the director of football. I, I don't know a lot about him. We can all look at it and pick through the minutiae of what a football club looked like. But the greatest manager that our club's ever had used to say, provided we win at three o'clock on a Saturday, nothing else matters. Now, I know they don't play very often at three o'clock on a Saturday anymore, but you know what he means. If the, if the first team on the pitch is winning games consistently in the top division, then the rest of it tends to fade from view. Um, and I think that's, that's the important thing. I think where I would like to see them be really joined up is in the recruitment. Because there's always a, a, a part of me that thinks last summer was a variety of people having an input into what the players should be. 
And I think now they're in a position where the best clubs, the successful clubs, have a particular type of player that they want to go and recruit. And I think if that's more joined up from this point on, then the club will only benefit. So I think that's the area where I'd like to see it really settle down. Recruitment become very structured in terms of who's got the final say, which people are having the input. And I think that just gives them a chance to be a lot more successful in terms of the players that they buy. And by the way, last season wasn't bad. It was good enough to keep them in the Premier League. We've got to remember that. But I think if they want to now go for three or four players this summer, then they need that joined-up approach behind the scenes to make sure they get them right. Going on the recruitment, Fletch, I mean, I don't know how many they've got in that team of, of recruitment people, but how much of a say, in your opinion, should Steve Cooper have? You know, has he got the final say? Has well, he got, you know, because... Obviously, people have said that he wasn't one of his signings, etc., etc. Is he there just to coach the players and make them better and make them fit in, or is he going to pick his own players? I mean, how does he work? Look, I don't, I'm not in there sitting in on meetings, so I don't know. But you have an owner now who owns a club in Greece. Now, the structure over there would be coach coaches players, technical director buys players for the coach. And the coach gets given the players, there's your players, we know the ones you want, this is the way you're going to play, they're the best ones to do that, now you go and coach them. Because I think, I think in, when it comes to foreign ownership, they think that the coach is more expendable, that the talent recruiter is, is, is equally as important as the coach, but they tend to change coaches more. I think in an ideal world here, the owner at Forest would like a more European structure than he's maybe got at the moment, because that's what he's used to, and that's what he's been successful with in the past. I don't know whether that suits Steve Cooper. I don't know whether the process at the moment is the way that everybody wants it, but I think it will ultimately get to that European system where you have a, a high-class recruitment team providing players for a high-class coach, and it works that way. I think that's what they'll ultimately get to here. So are you trying to say, then, that the recruitment team will pick the players that they want regardless of who the manager is? So well, if they, for example, and hope I hope this never happens, they sack Steve Cooper, the next manager come in, he'll have the same players to deal with because they're the, the players that the recruitment team yeah, wanted. I, I think they, but I think they would then recruit the manager that fits the way the team are going to play. If you look at Manchester City now, if Pep Guardiola leaves, they just can't go out into the marketplace and bring in any old manager to manage that group because they're built to play Pep Guardiola football. So they've got to look at someone like Mikel Arteta or maybe Luis Enrique, someone that, that's been coaching the Guardiola way to come in and have the continuity to do it. This is the way it is. It then means that your managerial shortlist is shorter, your players' shortlist is shorter because you're very joined up in the way that you do it. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the clubs now are going down that route. If you think about it now, you know, the players that Manchester City sign tend to come via Cheeky Baguristein and, 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 and Soriano in there. They tend to pick the players. And yes, he has a say. Edu is very dominant <clears throat> at Arsenal. <clears throat> in terms of the players that they sign. Uh, Fletcher at Man United is the same. He's the technical director picking on the players. So it's not, it's not a rare thing. It's what everybody's starting to do. And it's a very American system, isn't it, where you have a general manager and a head coach, and the head coach doesn't make the draft picks. The general manager does, and then the coach coaches the players. So I think, ultimately, you'll get a situation here that looks a lot more like that than the old-fashioned British method of, I'm the manager, I'm going to pick the players, and I'm going to coach them. Because there's so many things to do now. So I think it takes the pressure off people. 
Yeah, you, you see it at Villa, they've just brought in Monchi to work with um, yes. Emery, haven't they? Um, last, exactly, yeah. Last topic before we take a break. You've sort of touched on it quickly. Is Saudi money going to change the game in the next year oh, or two? I think it's changed it already. Somebody said to me the other day, what they're doing at the moment is that they're signing the superstars now. And then when they've done that, the next wave will come in. So I, I, think, I think there's a real chance that when you next see Jesse Lingard in a, in a football kit, it'll be in Saudi Arabia. Because where else is he going to get the wages that he wants after the season he's just had? And Golo Kante knows that he can't play every game now for Chelsea because of his injuries. But he can go to Saudi Arabia and earn way more than he gets at Stamford Bridge. Karim Benzema knows that as, at the top level in the Champions League now, his days are probably starting to fade out. They, the best ones are certainly behind him, but he goes there and earns what he earns. I think it's going to have a massive impact on football. And I think, I think Gary Neville made the point yesterday on the radio. He said at some stage, leagues are going to have to take sanctions against players moving over there to safeguard what they've got in their own country. So there's so much money over there, they could theoretically buy the Premier League lock, stock and barrel if that's what they wanted to do. So I would think there are quite a few clubs at the minute who are worried about the traffic of players between the Premier League and Saudi Arabia at the moment. Unless you're Chelsea, yeah. where Chelsea have worked out that they can just get rid of everybody who's crap on massive wages, the Saudis will take them and all of a sudden, they're back inside financial fair play at the click of a finger. Oh, so it works well for some. Yeah, it works well for some. If you're a player, though, this position, I mean, I, we, the, the lad from Wolves, uh, Nevis, is it? Unbelievable. 26 years of age. He's supposed to be going to Barcelona. He, he was linked with Liverpool. Unbelievable. 26 years of age. Is that the right move to go to Saudi Arabia at this point in time of well, his career? <laughs> it, it depends what you're motivated by. If you're motivated by the green, get yourself off. If you want to win a trophy that matters, then you've got to stay and play in Europe. So I understand it for players at the back end of their careers. Yeah, but I find it, this, this has always been the Harry Kane thing for me. Why does Harry Kane want to play at Tottenham season upon season to score goal after goal? Surely at some stage you want to win something somewhere. And the likelihood of doing that at Spurs is remote. And I've always questioned his mentality, but maybe there are more players like that now than there ever has been, that it's, it's an economic situation that they're in. I just think back to some of the players I worked with when you were, when you were playing and, and the managers that were around. It was all about winning medals and trophies. It seems to be a lot more geared now about pounds, shillings and pence in, in a lot of cases, doesn't it? With Harry Kane, though, now, do you think he's more motivated about individual records than actually winning team trophies? Because he's got his eye on, obviously, the England, you know, scoring as many goals as he can. The Premiership, obviously, top scorer against Shearer. You know, is that motivated enough? Well, I think if, if, if two people walked in a room and, and Ryan Giggs stood there, and you're only judging Ryan as a player, and Harry Kane's over there, when they both finished, and you said, well, there's Harry Kane, look, all-time Premier League goal scorer. Because forget the international stuff, whoever he plays for is going to get that record. And there's Ryan Giggs, who's won nine championships, five FA Cups, the Champions League. Which career do you want? You don't want all-time scorer. Alan Shearer gets left off most all-time Premier League teams for Thierry Henry. People say, well, you can't put Shearer, but he's scored more goals than anybody else. It has to be about winning things. All right, individual records are fine, but you've got to go and win trophies, surely. I mean, you think about the lads who won the European Cups here. You can never take that away from them. There would have been players individually back then who did more than them, but you can never take that away from them. That writes your chapter in history, doesn't it? You've got to be motivated like that. So what's keeping at Tottenham then? I've got no idea. He must be mad. <laughs> he must be mad. Um. 
I will take the interval now. Um, just give Fletch and Gemma a big round of applause if you could be so kind. <laughs> welcome back to part two. Please welcome to the panel, Michael Temple. Thanks, Matt. Greg's a bit worried he's going to get booed. Please don't boo Greg Mitchell. Shamed into a lemonade and lime. <laughs> um, just before we get into the questions, a big thanks to Temps for giving us the Carragher shirt. Big round of applause. Um, Big thanks to Hayley for selling all the tickets, which will raise 183 quid. Uh, so if you add that to about 500 for Switch Up Knots, which is, of course, close to Fletcher's heart. And about 500 for Treetops, which is, of course, close to Gary's heart. And obviously, thanks to all of you for raising all that money, going to great, some great causes. First question just says, Chris Wood or John Joe Shelby? And I don't know what for. <laughs> Temps? Well, look, it's, it's Chris Wood for me. I, I still think he's got a bit of a part to play. Uh, you, you probably heard my piece last week about John Joe Shelby. Wherever he's going, I'll drive him myself. And I don't, I don't, think, I don't think I'm alone in holding that opinion because people are born with or without talent, they hone it or they choose not to, but there's a choice about effort and intensity. And watching those clips of John Joe Shelby choosing not to defend still boils my blood now. Like I, I was never ever gonna be anywhere near that level, but whatever level I'm playing at, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try hard. And I, I just think on so many instances, um, there were, there were a, 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 a spell of goals conceded in his time in the team that could have been avoided through graft. Not through skill, not through anything other than wanting to defend. Felipe's got that in abundance. Was has got it in abundance. For me, what John Joe Shelby did in terms of the lack of effort in those games was unforgivable. He, he came out of the team, he stayed out of the team, and I, I can see exactly why Cooper didn't have him anywhere near the setup in the final weeks of the season. Um, yeah, I was going, Gemma, Gemma. I'll back everything that Tem says there because we played in a vets game about two months ago on a mud bath and he played against me and the first minute he fucking clattered me so hard and he didn't give a shit. <laughs> Nigel, listen, no, that's true. It is true. All right, give him a clap. Give him his minute. Come on. <laughs> Nigel Jemsen is an annoyingly good footballer. Even at the tender age of 67, it, he can still pull balls out the sky. He's got an amazing touch, and I, I did. I nailed him within 30 seconds, and I, I regretted it because I've got he, <laughs> <laughs> he, he got up and he, he used a few naughty words at me. But then 10 minutes later, at a corner, he always remembered that I'm pretty generous with a cricket ticket, so he gave me a cuddle, and he said, <laughs> "Tim, it's okay, aren't we, mate? But yeah, we're fine, Gemma. We're fine." And then at 3-0 up, he went off with a hamstring strain. And I still haven't asked him if it was genuine or not, but Nigel Jemson can still play football. I think coming into Nottingham Forest, what the, the fans expect is 100% commitment. You know, if, if they don't give that, you know, it doesn't matter about the, the technical ability of the player, whatever, but 
they they need to give 100 percent when they wear, wear the, the forest shirt and if they give that then the fans will love them if they don't give that then they're going to be on the case so i'm not saying he hasn't i'm sitting on the fence because i work here on max days i don't want to lose my job i love it um but listen for me you know he, he's certainly going to give more who will be your surprise player of the season from the current squad next year well, it's always going to be Ryan Yates because he's always going to have haters. So he'll just keep improving like he always does. The ultimate professional, one of the best professionals we've had at the club for many years. Uh, if, if players can live by how he lives by, then we're going to, be, we're going to do well. No, I, I don't think he's a surprise. I, I don't think Forrest win too many football matches when he's not on the pitch. So he's not a surprise to me at all. I think people look at Ryan Yates and, and, and they're really keen to tell you what he can't do. But I think if you look at what he does do and try and find another midfielder in the Premier League that does what he does, you'll, you'll take a long time trying to find him. I think the one that might surprise us next season is, is our number nine. I think he's got more goals to come. I think he's settled in quite nicely. I think we'll stop thinking about him as a project next season and start thinking about him as an authentic nine. And just going back to your question about Wooden Shelby, I think if the club makes the progress that I think it will make, I think the answer is neither, because I don't think ultimately either of them will be fit for purpose if they get the recruitment right this summer. Um, there's a couple of questions along the same theme. One is about pressing and one is about formations. I think they fit into a similar style of play. Obviously, Gemmo, it was pretty defensive towards the end of last season, a case of needs must. What's the evolution of the team next season for you? I think with the formation, um, they got stung a bit early doors, conceding quite a few goals. And I think obviously with the goal difference as poor as it was towards the end of the season, they were a bit scared of getting done again by quite a few goals. So the formation, I mean, listen, when you play Manchester City at home, you can't go gung ho and just flipping go for it. And, and, and the game could be over within 10 minutes, City could be three up. So what they did do is they sat back and made it hard. You could see the hard work that they put on the training ground. The Gafford obviously got them there working together and it worked. You know, they, they sat back and, and, and tried to get people on the counter-attack uh, and you've got to praise them for doing that. Now, that works for the top teams, but at home against the lesser teams, I think we should go out and attack you know, and, and you know, score the goals. Um, but um, certainly for certain games, I think the manager got the tactics right and I can't question his formation. This was a big bugbear of yours, temps through the season in terms of pressing. Does it, it has to change for you, you think? Yeah, it does if you want to kick on. But I mean, looking at the way the fixtures are shaping up this year, we're, we're going to start the season with a back five away, right? We were, I was talking in the break with my friend down here. It's, it's an Im implausibly tough start on the road. So any plan Steve Cooper has been working on to make us more of a front foot team, to increase the press, to let Brennan Johnson see more of the ball requires different opposition to those, those games we've got on the road first few weeks. So to, to Gemmo's point, yeah, we, we have to be deep and compact and we have to play on the counter to have any hope of living with them. There was a game Man City last year, right? We played Lingard, Gibbs-White, Johnson up top and tried to play long ball. We have to have a game plan which suits the opposition and the players that we've got at our disposal. And I just, I, I know the, the style needs to evolve to Fletcher's point earlier if we are going to kick on. I just can't see us doing it in the, in the early weeks on the road. Interspersed with that is two very winnable home games, which are going to be huge, high-pressure games for Steve Cooper because he's a Premier League manager, so he's got no job security. That's a fact. He has to win those two home games. Is he going to do it with this evolutionary, expansive style? I'm not sure he is. 
I think it's probably from game eight, nine onwards, where hopefully we're going to see Steve Cooper's new style, the style he wants to play. It is frustrating at times because we all think we should be fourth, 12th, wherever. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to see us get on the front foot. But let's be pragmatic. We've got to get something from those early away games. The run of games we've got isn't brilliant, but I think we're getting the top teams at the right time because they've had a lot of international still play football even as we speak now. You know, they're going to be tired. They've got new people coming in, so that's going to take a bit of time. So we're probably getting the right time for me. You know, so yes, we'll probably sit back. Two, if we are going to sit back and we're, we're going to work as a big team, does Brendan Johnson come into the team then? Because as much as I love him and all this lot, I think that's his, the one weakness in his team that he needs to probably work more off the ball than when we don't have it than when we have the... I probably would say no, he stays in the team, but then when we dropped him at the back end of the year, we played well and got results. So, jury's out for me. I think Brennan Johnson needs to stay and have another 10-goal season if we're going to kick on. I'd pick him, but I understand why Cooper didn't at the end of the year. Yeah, I think when you talk about style, first and foremost, there aren't too many teams in their first season in the Premier League when they've come from off the pace as Forrester to get through the playoffs that find their identity year one. It's about survival. It's about throwing the names in the air. It's about trying everything. And he did try everything last season, the manager. Every system, every permutation. And by the end of the season, he managed to land on the back five with people sitting, scoring goals on the counter, and it worked for him. I'd be very surprised if that's the identity moving forward. But it goes back to the point I made about the Brentford progression really early tonight. That year two, you then start to recruit players that then gives you eventually the identity. And I don't think Forrest's idea ultimately is to have everybody behind the ball and try to nick a goal on the counter-attack. I think they hope to evolve now into a team over the next season or two that's got the confidence to take these matches to opposition who are supposedly superior. So I think this is just part of the process, that we shouldn't be too concerned about what last season looked like or what the early weeks of this season looked like. But I think by the end of this season, the identity needs to be set, the 11 needs to be known, everybody needs to know what the best team is, the best way to play is, and at that point you can really start to kick on. I also wasn't too worried about, I, we, we always seem to get thrown possession stats whenever Forest play. 17%, 21%. I mean, possession is the worst statistic in football. Manchester City's possession is fine, but if you look at a lot of teams with their possession, they knock the ball back between the centre-backs and the goalkeeper numerous, numerous times, never score a goal because of it, but they've got 65 70% possession. doesn't matter. But I think it's all about evolving now into a team that knows its identity, round pegs in round holes. It's all part of the progress and the development, and I'm pretty sure over the next season, you'll start to see that come in. I wouldn't be too worried about it. Who's the first name on the team sheet then, Arsenal away? If he's fit, it has to be eight. Because you've got to go and fight fire with fire at Arsenal. You need someone that's going to run around their midfield and get the ball off them. So, I mean, I think we'll need more than one. <laughs> I think two or three might be enough, though. But I just think it's got to be him. You know, I think if he's fit, he has to play. In the current... This current Forest team, the way it is... He has to be in it. Now, if over the next two or three seasons they can sign three world-class central midfield players, then you might have a different argument. He might then struggle to get in because you're going to then control the ball in the middle of the pitch. At the moment, we can't do that, so you need someone to either make it uncomfortable for the opposition when you haven't got it or at least try and get it back for you. 
And he's one of the best in the Premier League at doing that, not just the best in, in our group. So I think at the moment we enter the new season and he is an automatic choice. If he's fit, I'd have him, especially in all those away matches, we, we, he's got to be fit for those. Is that why we didn't see the best of Freuler, Fletch? Oh. Not dominating the ball. Your favourite player, well, one of your two favourite I've players. been here only two hours and that's the first Freuler mention. I haven't mentioned Emmanuel Dennis yet. I don't think he fitted last season's Forest team at all, in any way, shape or form. I thought in possession he was too slow, I thought his distribution was too negative, and they seemed obsessed with him being in the team. Now, I've seen him play for Atalanta in the Champions League with better players around him, and he looks an entirely different player. He goes to play for Switzerland, and he plays in an entirely different way. I'm not necessarily sure that the problem is totally Remo Freuler, but I think in this incarnation of Nottingham Forest, he doesn't fit. But I think if you've got two players in there who are better, if you had a midfield of Pereira and Polinia at Fulham with Freuler in there as well, nobody would be complaining about Remo Freuler. But he needs to be in a team who's got the ball and has the ball and he gets a thousand touches and everything goes through him. Then he's a very competent player. But in last season's team, he simply didn't fit. Is that the same for Emmanuel Dennis, Gemmo? That was a criticism of him. Does he fit in this team? No. <laughs> I, th I think for, for, for Dennis, I think on his day, he can be unplayable, but I, even then, I think he doesn't know what he's doing. I, ju I just think for myself that, like Fletcher said, the club are going to move on, and I just think he'll be surplus requirements. Um, I just think we're going to get better people in now, and uh, the club will move forward. All you say in his defence, if there is a defence, and that is, he's an attacking player who scores goals in a team that didn't generate many opportunities. Now, that can be down to him, but it's easy to play that position in a team that's creating five or six good chances a match. And Forrest didn't do that. So I think playing that role was difficult. Brennan was different because he got that searing pace on the counter-attack to get you away. So I've got a little bit of sympathy for him, but I've always got a problem with a footballer when I look at them and think your talent is so much greater than your performance. And that's what bothers me with him. I think he's a better player than we get to see. And I can imagine that he must go on the training ground and bamboozle everybody Monday to Friday. And then the game kicks off on a Saturday and you think, well, where was, where was the fella from Thursday morning? And that, that's what I think disappoints me about him. I think there's so much in there, so much talent in there. I watched him rip Real Madrid apart for Bruges in a Champions League match, and anybody would have taken him on that performance. So it's in there. But how you get it out of him is something that many, many managers, not just Steve Cooper, have found impossible to do on a consistent basis. I think it's a shame, because I think the very best Emmanuel Dennis on a consistent basis could be a really big impact player at a club like ours. I mentioned before about Scarpa, someone that... I'm really looking forward to seeing pre-season, but where do you see him fitting in? I, I just, you know, with Morgan Gibbs-White playing further back in there, with Scarpa, you've got Danilo, you've got Mangoli, you've got Gates in midfield without anyone else coming in. Where do you, you know, the question what was over Danilo to start off with, mm. and he's just gone, wow, that has been magnificent. Um, so where do you see him fitting in there? I think he looks to me that he doesn't look a starter for me in the system that there's a role to play probably off the bench. I think what one thing they've got to look at next season is if you play Brennan Johnson off the right, you play Tywo Awani through the middle, what's wrong with playing Morgan Gibbs White off the left? Because these systems these days are so fluid that, that players might start there but they don't 
eventually be there. When you think about Messi at Barcelona, he always started in space from a wide position and came into the centre to do his damage. And a lot of players do that. And I think Morgan could do that. That then gives you an extra body in central midfield. In games that you think you can win, you can then maybe play Scarpa as a 10 behind your number nine and use him in that way against weaker opposition. But I think, again, this is just how this, this team's going to evolve. And I, I, think one of the, I think one of the big challenges for Steve next season is where Morgan Gibbs-White plays in the team because he's an absolute certainty to start every match we play. He's our most naturally gifted player and probably our best performer. But I think they, they had a problem last season over being solid enough in central midfield to not get done through there, but then also have enough creativity in the team when they got the ball. And I think his big challenge this season is where he st what kind of shape he puts out there and where Gibbs-White fits into it which will ultimately show you what else he's got. Then you can maybe get Brennan in from the start, and he's not going to be on the bench like he was last season because you can have that strength behind him. So these are challenges that the manager will be relishing, I'm sure, because he's such a, a fertile mind and he loves a challenge like this. He'll be working really hard on it, and, and he'll, be, he'll be wanting to be better himself next season than he was. He'll be really happy by the fact they stayed in the Premier League, but he wants them to be better than that. And he works a lot of hours down there. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's, he's trying to put all these pieces together to make sure the jigsaw fits by opening day. Yeah, and we saw last season, it's a squad game when you have so many injuries in our squad. Um, one of the questions is, where would we have finished without all the key players getting injured, Greg? I really dislike Brentford. Everything about Brentford, their fans, everything. I think we'd be close to them. I do. I think 14 injuries, um, the amount of like 26 points or something from winning positions, some ridiculous stats that we will sharpen up on next season. We'll be tighter at the back. We're a little bit more forward now. Danilo plays and we're not going to concede that many goals for starters or we're not going to, you know, lose that many games in the 94th minute or things that make me cry when I think we're going to go down. So, um, yeah, I, I, I genuinely believe every team gets injuries, but the injuries we had this season needs to be looked at, and I know they will be. Um, but we will be a lot higher with a little bit more luck, less injuries, obviously, and, you know, being a little bit more sensible in the last five minutes of a game. We, we will. We'd have been... A lot higher. But, but, that's, a, that, but that's a progression, isn't it? Because if, if you play year one in the Premier League, it can be a shock to the system. And they weren't... The, the, last, the last five or six games, they weren't doing what was costing them so badly in the opening 33. It seemed to take a period of time for people to realise that you've stepped up a league, whether you've been playing abroad or whether you've been playing in the Championship. This is ruthless. And I think a lot of players will come back, hopefully, for pre-season better for the experience. So you would naturally think that those mistakes that were being made, lots would be eradicated because mentally they'd be stronger. They know where the danger is. They know how these games can swing. So I would think as a group, you'd expect them, wouldn't you, all to be better in that regard? Yeah, and the other thing is as well, <laughs> although our first eight fixtures don't look like it, I do think it's a weaker league this season. Yeah. You know, you've got your Lutons come up. Not so much Burnley, but Sheffield United, they're spending £20 million. Great company can't play that football in the Premier League. Yeah, he exactly. cannot He'll play that football well, in yeah, the Premier League. It, it's, it's, it's fanciful to think that he can. I, I just think as well that, you know, we're not going to be that team that go away now and we lose 6-0 to Man City, we lose 5-0 to Arsenal, we lose 4-0 to a team that got 
you know, relegated, which was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> and um, I just, I feel like we can start on much a higher a pedestal this year. You know, the away games are horrendous when you look at them, but we pick up, you know, one or two points from those first four away games, win our first two home games, and we're suddenly a team that's not being worried about. We're a team that hopefully next season we're not going to get spoken about a lot because we're just going to be in that classic Crystal Palace position and just forgotten about 12. That'll do me. Well, great for the podcast, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you won't be on the overlap with that attitude. Good. <laughs> um, the most asked question is, where will Forrest finish next season, Greg? So I'll ask you that now. Ninth? Yeah. <laughs> you, said, then, you said seventh this yeah, year. Yeah, well, I think we'll, get, we'll win the League Cup. Does that get us to right. Europa yeah, League? Yeah. Or, yeah, well, you know. So, no. Yeah. We'll do something that just scrapes us into Europe. I want a Moldovan away game. But hang on, didn't they say we'd be seventh this year? Ninth. Ninth, Ninth this year? Yeah. You want us yeah. in Europe? Well, yeah, but we can do that through a cup or something like that. Well, what about you, Temps? Where are they going to finish as the, the voice of reason? Is that bloke here that said Greg's like the fella off the fast show, just says everything's brilliant, <laughs> thinks Forrest is going to steam everyone 4 nil every week? He also said I was uh, a typical LinkedIn <laughs> so if it is him, I'll see him at the, <laughs> see him at the bar afterwards. I'd love 12th. I think what Palace have done as a model of solidity, of having players that can come in when Zaha's out, there's others come in and, and maintain the style and the, the way that they play. Um, they, they have, they've gone under the radar and their fans get a bit jittery if they're, if they're 11th or 13th. They, they've kind of owned that position. I'd settle for that and for me that would represent success. But as would 15th. Like this is the world league. This is the toughest league in the world. The biggest problem with the Premier League is you have to play against other Premier League teams. It's impossibly tough. I was stressed after that West Ham game. It was like watching a Wimbledon tennis match. The pace, the accuracy, the, the athleticism, the size of these boys. I would love to be above 15th. I think that would represent an excellent season. Greg would have to take a couple more tablets to get himself through the week. But a top 10 finish still feels implausible is the word I was going to use. That might be unfair. Le they, they did, and now look at them. And now look at them. I'd bite your hand off for 12th. I'd be happy with 15th. Who's got the house crying this season after Bree Samba left? Fully plays good, yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Um, I think it's Yeezy. Yeezy. He's the one that winds everyone up, doesn't he? Do you need that in a team, though, don't you? You need someone who's a bit of a sometimes. <laughs> yeah, of course you do, yeah. I mean, people react in different ways, don't they? Um, Yeezy, Yeezy winds people up. He's... Um, I mean, you wouldn't have thought so off the pitch. He's such a lovely lad. But on the pitch, he's just a winner, isn't he? And he just gives, he gives his heart and soul to the football club. Uh, yeah, he likes to wind people up, doesn't he? And, and get on the ball. And, and um, every time he falls down, he always grabs the ball for some reason. I don't know why he does that. It's always a foul. So I don't know how many, done, how many times he's been done for handball or not. I don't know. But yeah, I think he's the one there. Um, but I have to say, we talk about you know, the, the centre-backs all sort. How good was Joe Worrell for the last eight, ten games? Yeah. You know, I'm fortunate that I see quite a bit and his, his professionalism and his attitude when he wasn't on, in the team, you know, around the lads and, and, and obviously on the bench was, was unbelievable. And I don't feel as if he should have been dropped in the first place, but I'm, that's not my call. But, you know, when he came in, you know, for the Liverpool away game, you know, from then to the end of the season, he arguably he's got to be in the top two players performances wise from then to the end of the season I thought he was, a, I thought he was unbelievable yeah. 
Can I just answer the one as well? Yeah. And it's a player that our own fans would probably say it as well. I think Jesse Lingard, as much as he didn't play, I've never seen a player play for Forest who's wound so many opposition fans up in my life, especially West Ham fans. But yeah, on the pitch, to be fair to him, yeah, didn't get the game time. But off the pitch, I mean, on that sideline, every single game till the very end, just kept doing it, kept winding them up, kept getting behind the lads, even though he knew he wasn't going to be with us next year. I know he didn't have... Fletcher's coming off his long run at you in a minute. You've got to respect that. In the modern game as well, you know, when kids are like enjoying them. Look, I'm looking out there. We've got some passion in the room, right? How much did we pay Lingard last year, right? You could have got a party planner for about 100 quid a week to do exactly the same thing. Got the followers on TikTok, though. That's what it's about. Listen, when you've got a player who's on that kind of wage, if all we say at the end of the season was, wasn't he great at winding people up from the touchline, we know we got one wrong there. It sounds like I'm right. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that, that's a real bugbear for me. And then when I talk about the recruitment being joined up this year, I don't want another one of those mistakes. Because you can, you can count the good games he had on, on one hand. Tottenham's probably the only one that really sticks into anybody's mind. And by the end of the season, he looked heavy, he looked out of shape, he looked sluggish when he came on. And he was the one that should have had a really big impact. And he was lucky last season that others rallied around him. And I think for all the J-lings, and I'm going to sell me clothes, and I'm going to try and be cool, he let this club down last year because he didn't do what he was brought in to do. And there were opportunities when the club needed him, and he wasn't ready for that. And I think this season, they can't go and take a punt like that on a player like him. There are players in there that fit what we're doing, the demographic, what the manager wants. And I don't think when you look at it through any set of eyes, he fitted in any way, shape or form. And he was the biggest disappointment for me all last season was, was him. I think, yeah, you have to put your egos away, don't you, when it comes to recruitment? Because that was a bit of an ego signing, I think. Bringing in Jesse was a, a name, I guess. Um, it's a good point. It's a good point, but we've got to be better than that now. We don't need ego signings now. We need proper signings. Players are going to fit what we're going to do. Sit down with the manager, ask him how he's going to play, what does he need, round peg in a round hole, and away you go. Then your team gets better. Mm. And the best ones, the one that pr- ones that progress, Brentford, Brighton, do exactly that. Mm. They're not taking a punt on Jesse Lingard. They're going buying a player that they know will do what they're buying, fits the description of what he is, comes into the team and adds to it, and then that player adds to his own value and away you go. And that's what they've got to start doing now, not going down the route of players like that, I think. How, how important as well was like the value of Yates and Warhol and Johnson and players of that ilk who can help meld a team together. When you've got 30 new signings, you know, that, Cooper did a lot of it, but it could have been an absolute um, cluster, couldn't it, the season, yeah. really? For want of a better phrase. Yeah. <laughs> we don't normally swear, but it could have been, yeah. It's just, just past eight o'clock now, so I think I you're know, moving towards the time when you can use that. Look, that, that is and was all last season a ridiculously tight group. Mm. Gemma will back me up on that. A coffee, a coffee in, in, in West Bridgeford would involve 12 or 13 of them sat around the table, having a natter, having a laugh, being together. When they stayed up, everybody was, was out for two or three days different people's houses. They're a very, very together group. And I think it was a real testament to, to them as individuals and to the management team as well. There's so many times in a situation like that, you start to see groups fragment. Little cliques develop here and there. It's not my fault, it's him. It's not my fault, it's the manager. The manager's done this. 
or group of players, I should be playing and he shouldn't be in. They stayed together completely through the whole of last season. And I think it, when, when the shit really hit the fan towards the end of the campaign, it was what got them through. It's the reason why they could be like they were against Arsenal on that memorable day. One will never forget when they get the win to stay in the Premier League. So they're a very, very together group. Joe takes his role as captain extremely seriously, keeps the lads together. Temps will say they're often down there at the cricket and there's a whole host of them just sitting back, not having a drink, just watching the cricket, having a day, being together, a bit of food in West Bridgeford before they go. And it's so rare in modern football. If you go around the Premier League, there aren't too many clubs that are happy to socialise and be around each other like this group was. And it was a really special part of what they were able to achieve last season. Of course, helped by the managers. Got this open-door policy. If you've got a problem, you can go and speak to him. He's a, a very easy man to be around as well. So it just, it just fitted what they were trying to be last season. And it was so important to what they ended up achieving at the end. Mm. On that note, Fletch, the gaffer didn't get involved too much when people stepped out of line. He left it to the senior players like Joe. They had a committee and they, de they dealt with the punishment. And what they did was the players who stepped out of line probably had to pay for the whole club or the whole squad to go out for a meal, which kept them all together, but they had to pay for the meal. So it was a great way of you know, player, player, you know, standing together and, and being one, but it was also, a, 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 you know, him as a fine to pay for, for the bill at the end of the night.